Hi there, you're listening to the Guitar Speak podcast, produced here in Sydney, Australia. My name is Matt Wakeling, and thank you so much for joining me. Now today, we speak to Greg Mara, fantastic guitarist and producer from Southern California. He's got a couple of great solo albums to his name. He's working on a more of a band-based project at the moment. Has done some great sidemen work with people like Paul Gilbert and Bruce Boulay from Racer X, to name just a couple. Now I have to thank my good friend Mick from the Amps and Axes podcast for introducing me to Greg. Uh, thanks Mick, thanks for helping set this up. Um, yeah, it was great to talk to Greg and we'll get to that interview shortly. But first, some listener emails. This is from Chad Pritchard from Seattle in the States. Matt, I just found your podcast because of your interview with John Sullivan from Sully Guitars. I really enjoyed it. John has been a big influence and incredible resource because of his YouTube videos. Another person who has been a great resource on YouTube is David Fletcher from Fletcher Handcrafted Guitars. He is Australian as well and I would love to hear an interview with him. Keep up the good work. Thanks from Chad. Thanks, Chad. Great to hear from you. I'll definitely check out um, Fletcher Handcrafted Guitars. Always keen to hear about great Australian luthiers, even if I'm being told about them from someone in the States who's found them before I have. Chad and I, uh, we had a little chat. Also talked about Kiss. Matt, I also forgot to mention in my email about listening to Sully's episodes that I too am a huge Kiss fan. Ace is one of my main influences. So share any KISS stories on the podcasts that you want. I would enjoy that. Absolutely. And uh, uh, as I mentioned to Chad, my first record was KISS Double Platinum. I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, actually. But, man, I love that album. Detroit Rock City. Are you kidding me? (laughs) That's awesome. So, Chad, thanks for getting in touch. Um, I'm definitely going to check out Fletcher Guitars. And, um, yeah, if we can organize something, that would be really cool. Alright, another message. This time this was through Instagram, Rob Rhodes, who I think's been following our podcast for a while. G'day Rob. Uh, Rob writes, my Aussie oh, my Aussie guitarist wish list for Guitar Speak Podcast. Mark Lazotte, Erwin Thomas, Krishna Jones, Dave Leslie, Jim Kelly, and Chris Cheney. Man, that's a brilliant list. Thank you, Rob. Um, now listen, I can't name names. I won't name names until uh until the job is done but i have been reaching out to a number of australian guitarists um some of some of whom are household names some of whom um, are not in the, the mainstream music consciousness but are definitely huge parts of the australian guitar community um yeah so hopefully some some really good stuff can can come about rob i won't uh yeah i won't mention names but um hopefully we can get some good stuff uh, that might satisfy part of your list. That's all I can say. But again, thank you for your message. And um, yeah, to anyone listening who would like to get in touch, yeah, send us an email at uh, guitarspeakpodcast at gmail.com or you can get us through Facebook or Instagram or those places too. So yeah, love to hear from people listening to the show. It might be an interview request. It might just be a comment on one of the episodes. Whatever. Um, we, we love to hear from you. Okay, on to our interview of the week with Greg Mara. Now, leading into the interview, I'd love for you to hear some of his playing, which is absolutely brilliant. This is uh, part of a track called A Swift Kick from Greg's debut album, Collective Disorder.
Greg Mara, welcome to the Guitar Speak podcast. Thanks for having me on, Matt. It's my pleasure to be here. Great, great to have you. And um, you're, I'm speaking to you, you're in Southern California. Were you brought up there? You know, I grew up in Pennsylvania and um, about 20 something years ago, I moved to Southern California. So I feel more like a native here now. Okay, yeah, cool. Very cool. Now, what was your start on guitar? You know, I think my mom will try to say that it was when I was three years old and she got me a plastic cowboy guitar for Christmas <laughs> with a little vinyl floppy record, but it probably was more like uh, seventh or eighth grade when I got a little nicer guitar. I think uh, at that time uh, I had an aunt and they uh, must have ordered a guitar from the JCPenney catalog. Okay. And uh, I showed an interest and that's the guitar I had. It was a harmony with uh, an amp and it, the amp was, there was no distortion. There was... It was completely clean. It was, you know, very uninspiring. But um, yeah, that was my start. Okay, cool. And what were you listening to? Like, was there stuff that was inspiring you to play the guitar, or did you just start playing and the influences came afterwards? You know what it was? I think the inspiration came when I was much younger and got the Kiss bubblegum cards. Ah, yeah. And uh, I thought, you know, I, I think <laughs> at the same time, um, I think one of the local, rather, uh, the national networks aired a KISS concert late at night. And um, so, yeah, that was sort of like the early, early on, like Ace Fraley was a uh, big influence on me. And then, and then I uh, had a, a cousin that had uh, KISS Alive 2 uh, on 8-track awesome. and played it nonstop. <laughs> so I would, I, I would have to say that Ace Fraley was one of the biggest early, uh, early influences. And it, I think a lot of that stuff was very tangible to play as a beginner guitar player. Playing cold gin was, you know, as as basic as it gets, but still a lot of fun to play. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Kiss was huge here as well. Um, we were, we were wrapped up in all the Kiss Kisteria kind of stuff and all the Kiss Army stuff. But yeah, you're right. Those, those tunes they're not crazy hard to start to get across. Um, yeah, in, when I started playing, Kiss was a huge big deal, and ACDC. Um, Oh yeah, and maybe similar. You know those guitar, those songs. Not so much the solos for me, but you know you could sort of, you could sort of work out the chord progressions after you'd been playing for a little while. So, I was just gonna say our our low our um our radio stations here was all classic rock. Okay. Uh, and in fact, if if you go back, uh, back east, a lot of those stations are playing the exact same song list. So <laughs> when you mention ACDC, yeah, it's sort of in your DNA. Yeah. throughout your entire life because they played it non-stop i mean back in black when it came out was it seemed like it was on the radio anytime you turn the radio on yeah. so um even if even if you couldn't uh sort of physically play the instrument and try to pull it off you could visualize how that song goes because you you saw and heard it so much yeah absolutely yeah it is funny that 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 continual cycle on classic rock it's like it's like I don't know, radio stations, they haven't noticed that ACDC have put out other albums since 1980. They've just kind of stopped there. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So you're listening to Kiss. You're, um, you're picking up the tunes. Um, your, your first album, your first solo album, Collective Disorder, um, so that came out in 2005. By then, you, you're playing a lot of heavy rock, kind of influenced some downtune stuff, some great, fantastic instrumental work how did you how'd you come to that style of playing well there's a lot in between i think mm -hmm. when you go from seventh grade to you know my first record i put out when i was in my early 30s so okay, there was a lot yeah. of stuff in between that 
like you know i gotta say that a lot of the the big jumps just to you know give you a bullet point were were, uh you know i loved Def Leppard. I just loved the songwriting, and I loved uh, that you could sing along. Uh-huh. And uh, Phil Col- Phil Collins for me was just such a tasty player, and you know he'd put the fast bits where uh, you know it was most interesting. But yet he he and Steve Clark played melodies, so that was for me uh, some of those early influences. And I'm sure I'm missing a, a ton of them. But next up was uh, you know when when Steve Vai came out with Dave Lee Roth and uh, Eat Him and Smile yep, yep. in '86. Uh, that I mean, really, it just changed everything for me. And, uh, you know, the, he still had the cool melodies, but it was something that was much more, you know, was higher higher elevated than anything else I had ever heard. I mean, because at the time it was like Scorpions and things like that. When, yeah, sure. And when I was like 11, when I was 11 and 12, that's that's what I knew. But then when I was a little bit older, it was Eat em and Smile. And then, of course, uh, Metallica came out with uh, Master of Puppets and... Uh, you know those guys to me at that time at age 14 15 that was like perfect timing uh-huh. you know so that that was like the next level and even throughout um the next couple decades until i had had uh you know enough of the resources to put together that first record you're talking about yep. it was still pretty much like steve Vai and joe satriani and all those those instrumental shredders Incidentally, that first record was supposed to have been a vocal record. Okay. Um, I just could, ne- I could never, you know, I felt like I-, I worked my whole life on trying to not suck on guitar, but I didn't work my whole life on singing. So I didn't, f- like, I knew I had melodies and I had, you know, I didn't really have lyrics or anything. So it just seemed like, well, the timing was right. I had to get a record out. I had a lot of cool contacts. Um, it was time because I had been in California a couple years. And like I said, I'd started to meet people. Mm-hmm. And it just seemed like uh, it's now or never. Um, right at that time, I had met Joy Basu, uh, who I'd studied with, and he was uh, Jessica Simpson's guitar player at the time. Okay. Yep. And Joy introduced me to a ton of people, namely uh, Glenn Sobel, who's now, uh, you know, in Alice Cooper's band for the last few years. And Glenn's played with Impelitary, Jennifer Batten, all these huge players. Yeah, cool. So, you know, when I, when I talk about timing, it was really, it came down to, well, Glenn is available at this window so for me it was, you know i wanted to have it be a vocal record but i knew that well i have glenn now so i've got to go go and do it he agreed to do the record and that's that's the drummer on that first record so really that record is glenn sobel and myself okay um and uh i played all the bass on it you know i did everything else on it too except for the drums awesome very cool the um but were you singing at that time because you you you're singing your new band plenty heavy which which are love to start talking about in a little bit um you sing on your mara album um yeah were you singing in bands or or fronting stuff at all then you know i think it's the type of thing where 
you think you sound better than you do. And uh, until, like I said, until like the last maybe five years of my life, um, I, you know, I sang, but when I would record myself, I'd always sort of cringe a little bit. And uh, I had taken vocal lessons starting, you know, it was probably five or six years ago okay. uh, from this this gentleman here that was, I think he was in, he must have been in his 80s, but he had trained, you know, every style of music you can imagine. And at that time, you know, I started to get a lot more control. And, uh, you know, I've, I've always loved Doug Pinnock from King's X. Yep. And yeah, I cool. knew I couldn't sing the high stuff. So, you know, I will, I will say this, that about a year ago, uh, Doug was the one, I had met him through mutual friends, and then, you know, we uh, had a, a better relationship you know, over the time, but he told me, you know, look, if you want to do this, try, don't even consider anyone else. Just don't write the music. Don't write the lyrics and, uh, the phrasing and the, and the melodies. Don't write it for anybody but yourself. So I think until, uh, until that time, I got to tell you, Doug was a, a big, uh, supporter of me going, you know what, you could probably do this. That's cool. Uh, but you know, I, I'd sung on my last record, uh, but never really had the confidence to be the lead singer and, uh, you know, just to go back to that other record that we're talking about, I sang some backups and some uh, harmonies and things. Oh, okay. Yeah. That record, R, that came out in 2012, had uh, Andrew Freeman on it, who's in uh, The Last in Line, which is uh, the Dio band, the entire Dio band, except for, obviously, Ronnie James Dio. Yeah, yeah. And, wow. uh, and Andy is just like, you feel like if you can't pull a 10, then don't do it. That's That was my notion in, in not singing leads on that record. But you know what? Like I said, uh, with the timing, with a little bit more uh, confidence and writing lyrics and and melodies that I could actually sing in my range, uh, just get you know, I just felt like the right time for it. Yeah, cool, excellent. Um, sort of in between, I guess in between the Mara album and Plenty Heavy, um, yeah, you've you've ended up doing a bunch of really cool sideman work as well, or singing with other bands. Um, tell me about working with Bruce Boulay. Yeah, that was cool. Uh, I think I met him in 2007 or 8, somewhere in there. And he had an advertisement up for uh, available guitar teacher. So I didn't really, I mean, truth be told, I just wanted to meet him. <laughs> you know, I just wanted to hang out with him. Because cool. I go back to those first Racer X albums yeah, yeah. Uh, 1988, 89. And that, again, that changed it again. Uh, I always loved Paul Gilbert. But at the same time, I thought Bruce was just so sick. Of yeah. a player, and uh, it was undeniable. And then when he went onto the screen, it was like, oh my god, this guy's like one of my favorite players. So, like I said, it was just an opportunity to meet him and sort of rub elbows and kind of get inside of his playing a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and then fast forward a couple years, he was actually putting together a band to tour his uh, Order of Control, and uh, and asked me if I wanted to be the second guitar player. Um, at which point, mm -hmm. we took about a year to sit and rehearse and arrange and put the show together. Um, and then we had a handful of dates um, throughout Southern California. And and uh, then after that, he decided he was going to take some time off. And uh, But uh, yeah, it was about a year and a half that I was working with Bruce, uh, you know, a lot. You know, we'd rehearse three, four times a week. And uh, we had a, a lot of different iterations of the band that was in the, you know, in the, the drummer and the bass player spot. Okay, but yeah. uh, we, you know, the band that, that uh, finally made it was, uh, you know, the drummer Mike Hansen, who's now in Plenty Heavy, yep, was the yep. drummer in Bouye. So it kind of, you know, it's like it evolved. But I got to tell you, uh, uh, Bruce and I are getting ready to do some stuff here coming up. And uh, 
not exactly what we did in the past, but it's always a pleasure to work with one of your childhood heroes. Yeah, I mean, yes. and really, I, and a lot of those uh, sessions and a lot of those times when he's going, hey, there was this one time uh, in Racer X when we did this, and I, I knew exactly what he was talking about because I was a huge fan. Uh -huh. But you never want to give up the ghost. You never want to let them know how much of a fan you are. Uh, <laughs> but I got to tell you, there were, there were a lot of times when I had to turn the 18-year-old brain off. Yeah, really. Just to get through it. You know, it's it very, very cool. <laughs> That's awesome. I've seen some videos of you guys, and it's it's insane. Like, a lot of that twin guitar harmony stuff. Um, and really extended lines, you know, not dissimilar perhaps to the Racer X stuff when you're not, it's not like say a thin Lizzie tune when you've got a killer riff that's harmonized. We're talking about really long, intricate lines that, that you guys are nailing together. So yeah, I imagine you're, you're doing a lot of work together. Yeah, it really was. But the other thing that happened was, uh, Bruce, you know, it's funny, just a little side note. He had a lot of years where he didn't play because of carpal tunnel and his uh, wrist and things like that. Oh, okay. I, wow. You know, and I, I had the exact same thing happen. Towards the end, I was saying to him, I said, "What? Explain a little bit more about what you what you were going through and what some of the sensations were." I swear to God, with some of those stretches, and some of those things that you were talking about, when I felt like it was, I was always tensing my left hand. I was always just bear claw on the on uh -huh. the guitar neck with my left hand. And I really did start to develop some some uh, sensations in my left hand that made me realize that. You know, this is amazing. I love playing this kind of music, but it's kind of good that Bruce has taken a break because I possibly could have injured myself with some of that stuff. And, you know, my music is, you know, I'm not trying to stretch from fret, you know, nine to fret 15 uh -huh. in a lot of cases. <laughs> and, and some of that Racer X stuff is like, yeah, wow. you know, I had a chance to to play with Paul a couple of years uh, ago. Rather, it's about a year and a half ago. Yeah, I was going to ask uh, And I asked him. Cool. Dude, I asked him, how did you do that? this from you know 9 to 12 to 15 to and he you know we, we played a clinic together and he showed me so effortless effortlessly just as if his hand naturally went made that stretch wow and uh and, and i had to tap it because i just i couldn't make the stretch uh -huh. my yep. my hand was not built like that you know but that's nuts wow so yeah tell me about playing with paul and that's um that looked like a lot of fun you were playing bass for him yeah, yeah, they, uh, at the time it was probably, I had signed with, uh, uh, Ibanez Guitars, okay. and they were putting a clinic together, and, uh, one of the clinics that was here in Southern California, uh, my rep asked me if I knew anybody that would want to play bass, and I just said, <laughs> I'm playing bass, you know, <laughs> yes. I, I'm not, not really a bass player, you know, I've never really done that too much, but, uh, as far as on stage, but given the chance to play with Paul Gilbert, you know, I really, I would have done anything. Uh -huh. uh, and so that's what I did. I said, you know what, Mike and I will play. I, I uh, uh, committed Mike even before I asked him because I knew that he would probably likely uh, want to do it and, yeah, you know, yeah. make any, make himself available to do it. So Mike and I played, uh, you know, the, the rhythm section. But, uh, and then after that, Paul sent me a, a list of songs and it's all cover songs, some obscure, some, you know, like we did the Lemon song. Yeah. And uh, as soon as I, as soon as I got that, I, I was doing a tour on the East Coast, and uh, and I knew I'd have like a month when I got back to prepare for it, and I did nothing but play guitar with, with uh, no pick. You know, I wanted to really, sh you know, show justice to the songs, mm -hmm. and uh, and I learned a lot of those lines in the Lemon Song, 
but not all of them because I think John Paul Jones played something unique every single pass. Yeah, I think so. You know, yeah. But, uh, Very yeah, it's cool. cool. Paul's a uh, dude. He's one of the nicest guys you ever meet. Completely unassuming. I asked him a million questions, yeah, and he nice. sat there and chatted with me just like I had known him for years. Wow, that's so. Cool. That was a great experience. He does really come across as just really, you know, like all of us, really passionate about the guitar and um, really humble and really interested in, in sharing his. Uh, in sharing he's he's really he's really into teaching he just he doesn't he's not on the clinic tour just to tour it is he he's really um really wants to get the ideas across he's got a ton of albums you know it's like i've I just imagined that he doesn't you know he probably doesn't have time to mow the grass <laughs> you know just he's it's always you know him he and richie Cotson. It just seems. What did Richie Cotton just announce? He's going to release his twenty-fifth solo album. Yeah, crazy. Amongst you know all those other, it's nuts. These guys, <laughs> you know. I'm I'm kind of wondering how you're mowing your lawn um, at the moment. You've you've got your uh, you've well, got, not. <laughs> that's, that's the short answer. Because you've just um, also yeah. come back from Nam. You're doing some stuff with Wampler, I think. There, tell me about that. Yep. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, I've known Brian Wampa for a couple of years. Yeah. And uh, last year I did uh, split duties as being the in-booth in demo guy with uh, Tommy Baldwin, who works uh, quite a bit with uh, Doug Pinnock. And okay. uh, Tommy is more of a blues guy and I'm more, you know, kind of a little bit more of uh, the flashy stuff. But uh, so we kind of shared duties and uh, that's a nonstop thing. You're in the booth at 9 a.m. and you don't leave till 6 or 7. And it's a long day of people filtering in and out of the booth and uh, -huh. uh it, it's it's great i mean uh about the pedals i mean brian makes a fantastic line everything that i've played through sounds fantastic very clean um you know and he's got a, a couple new pedals out. he's got the dracaris which is like an, a high gain pedal which uh um hopefully by the time that you put this out that it'll be released but i've been putting a lot of videos out with that in the backdrop just because i'm not trying to you know blow it for him or anything but there's that pedal the dracaris mm -hmm. which is a high gain pedal and he's got an ethereal which is a cool reverb and delay mix um and then he's also uh built a new amp which is a pedal platform amp it's a clean amp okay uh yep. for pedals and it's it's brilliant it's like a little fender deluxe i mean it's just it, i love it i think it's he said it's a 40 watt el gosh six v six something like that okay. so but uh and you know at those nam booths you can't really crank it up or anything but from what i was able to gather it just it sounded really nice and clean and it would be would have it's really a nice amp for uh for pedals yeah but cool. um yeah have you been to nam i've not no um no down here in sydney uh we're a long way from winter or summer nam um so yeah, no yeah. it sounds crazy though i had um Last week, I had uh, our friend Michael Ross on the show. He he writes for Guitar Player and Premier Guitar, so he he was getting um, he was bringing us up to speed on them, and it just sounds intense. It sounds like there's just no way you can see everything you would want to see there, and there's just stuff everywhere. It just sounds crazy. In a it nice is way, nuts. it's like <laughs> it is a nice way. Uh, you know, I've been going for for maybe fifteen years, and I I'm. I try to be as positive as I, as I can in my entire being. Everything that I do, I try to, okay, if there is something coming at me that I feel like I, it's a challenge, I'm going to try to put a positive spin on it. Uh -huh. There are times at NAMM when you <laughs> you can't. You just you have to say, okay, it's too much uh, of 100 <laughs> decibel. It's too much. Uh, there's like, you know, and I, I was at Amp, Amp Town, so it was uh, Friedman and Amps 
in the same booth as uh, Tone King, uh, I want to say Diesel Amps, yeah, Diesel Amps, wow. Eggnator, yeah. and uh, Synergy, and Wampler, all in the same booth. So oh, you can wow. imagine there's, I mean, uh, we had the opportunity for 10 guitar players to be shredding at, at <laughs> the same time. So it's a little bit of a cacophony and your, you know, your head's scrambled by the end of the day, but uh, it's cool. It's a great way to network and you, you can meet anyone, you know, you can meet, you could bump into John Petrucci in the bathroom and, and uh -huh. you know, be standing behind Richie Conson in the snack line yep. and you know, that stuff happens. Cool. <laughs> it's cool. Awesome. Are you, are you still doing some work with Friedman Amps? Yeah, well, I, I own a couple of the amps. Um, I got to tell you, for uh, from all the people I've met, I know Dave pretty well, and uh, I don't really think anyone's getting like a, a free amp deal. I don't think that really exists through Friedman, and sure. I think that's a good thing. Um, I, you know, like some of the other endorsements that I have, I've just tried to purchase things and have been lucky that Dave Friedman was a half hour from my house and went down to Tone Merchants and said, I'd like to buy this head, this cab, this uh this combo and just basically purchased from them and uh you know they they're good to their artists let's just say that they are good to their artists mm -hmm. um but every everyone's you know everyone is uh taken care of you know uh but i but i use those amps because i've tried a million amps and as soon as i tried the freedman it was like there's nothing else there's nothing else that i want an amp to do and uh every single time i try to push it left and right um, it delivers, you know, so I've got the BE 100 that I run through, uh, Friedman 212 cab uh -huh. and I've got the PT 20, which is called the pink taco 20 watt amp. And I, I've actually used that on the Bruce gig, uh, for live. Cause we were using the BE 100 and it was just way too loud. It was just way <laughs> too, it was, it was pushing him off the stage. And, uh, so he said, you gotta, you gotta do something. So, uh, <laughs> that's when I, uh, got the PT 20 and that through a 412 sounds it sounds amazing it, it sounds really good to push the the power amp on that thing nice. the little boost pedal in front of it really really sounds nice but uh yeah i've been nothing but uh happy with my relationship with dave freeman and that company yeah cool yeah they they, they build amazing amazing amps the um another company you're working with is fishman on there with their new pickups yeah yeah i've been with them about two years now yeah cool and uh before then, I had done a lot of work. I was a DiMarzio uh, pickups artist, and I did over 50 uh, clinics for them all throughout the United States, uh, Guitar Center, Sam Ash, boutique shops, and uh, swore by that company. Um, and I, I got to the point where one of my artist relations guys that I was real close with was leaving. And, you know, I when you've tried a lot of the line and you feel like, I like 10% of the line, um, you kind of float. So I just I had guitars with Seymour Duncan pickups in them, mm -hmm. and I had some uh, like old school Tom Anderson pickups that I liked in one of my guitars. And, oh yeah, yeah. And then I met with uh, I met with one of my friends who said you should check these pickups out, uh, and it was Fishman. It was uh, Frank Falbo who has done some work with Fishman, and uh, Ken Susie who's the artist rep at at Fishman, and they said you know just check them out play it through your favorite amp through your favorite guitar and we'll you know we'll load up a, a guitar with them uh it was a night and day uh comparison between what i'd been using because for me it's always the right guitar plays right everything's set up right uh not the most powerful pickup 
because I've always put like an EP booster or a, the, like the Wampler Tumnus in front of the amp okay, to yep. try to clean up the, the transient, you know, and then go into the front of the amp. Yep. And just so the amp's not doing all the work, it just seems better to have the, the guitar sort of sustaining a little bit more before you get into into the amp. Yeah, uh, sure. But that changed with, it completely changed with Fishman because now that, now that I had a, a little bit more boost coming out of the pickup, that was a clean, it was like a clean boost to me. Um, everything, all the, it seemed like the best analogy I can make is uh, certain pickups seem to have uh, like the blanket over the speaker vibe. You know how okay. sometimes if you have a microphone or a ribbon mic and it seems like it's too, uh, the high ends are rolled off too much or the frequencies just aren't pushing where they need to. Sure. Well, as soon as you try those pickups or play those pickups, you realize that all the frequencies are exactly where they need to be. It's super clean. Uh, all the dynamics are there. And you don't need as much to go in the front of the amp. Wow, nice. And uh, yeah, so for recording, that's all I use. For recording and stage, it's only Fishman. Cool, very cool. Now they, um, um, I believe they they have like a dual voice kind of a vibe. Do you need to preset that, or are you able to wire that in? So it's like, is it like a vintage and a modern voicing? Is that how they're they're describing it? Yeah, I think I think the the best way to describe it is like. If you can imagine uh, two different voices, like if you were to wind a JB a uh, little bit hotter yep. and maybe one at, at standard, uh, you know, frequencies. Um, but as far as being able to, like, you can, there are little clips that you can, God, I'm not an engineer, so I'm going to sound like a moron, but they're like <laughs> these little, uh, you can have a dB reduction of 6 dB, I think, or you can have a okay. plus 6 dB by how you plug in this little capacitor i think the right word is okay yeah these guys are going to kill me if they ever hear me talking <laughs> about the engineering side of it but uh but it can be i know you can softer. do that yeah sure yeah it can be louder or softer exactly uh-huh. yep yeah cool so with yours are yours set up are you able to change voices on the fly or you've just got them set in yeah. a certain way yeah i've got it on one of on the on some guitars like i've got a real thin h string mm-hmm. from ibanez it's uh the iron label and it's the s style body really thin so we had to put it in the volume uh the push pull in the volume so you have the two voices and down and up voice one and voice two ah cool and uh we put it in the volume or you can put it in the tone yeah okay very cool very cool yeah i've heard i've heard nothing but great things about them a friend of mine's got a a fairly recent les paul and he he really he wasn't digging it It was nice playing guitar but he um he popped a set of the fishermen in and now he loves it he says brought it to life so good uh yeah it really does Good reports on those. Excellent. Um, all right, Ibanez, that's been a big a big part of your life, it seems yeah. like, as a player. Um, I love on your clips, There's, it's like a little Ibanez museum, seeing all the different ones you've, <laughs> you've played. When did that relationship start up for you? Uh, it was 2015. Okay. Right around the time that Bruce was kind of taking a break, actually. Coincidentally, uh, uh, we had, you know, had been doing a lot of things, and... Um, the, you know, I have a friend who is one of the sales reps for uh, the western part of the United States, and uh, you know, he asked me if I'd be interested in being an Ibanez artist. So that's when that started. Uh, my personal relationship started when I was uh, just out of high school. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I went and saved up all my money one summer. I would think I worked at Subway sandwiches and uh, <laughs> saved up all my money. <laughs> went down and got an RG570 from the the store in Pittsburgh. Fantastic. And, uh, and I can remember uh, stopping sort of 20 minutes into the drive and pulling off into a parking lot to pop the trunk and have a look <laughs> at it because I just you couldn't wait. Couldn't wait till I got home. But, uh, 
Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. But, uh, you know, that it totally goes back to Steve Vai and, yeah. you know, whenever he had the gem release in 87 and all that. And it's just, I think there's a certain uh, charm about certain things that were the first time, you know, and that was like, but when I first saw that guitar, like the yellow, the pink and the green, I was just like, man, this is it for me, you know, and uh, I've owned quite a bit of them throughout the years. And right now I have about 20 of nice. them, um, a handful of them that, you know, come from Ibanez and uh, the rest, I'm just, I'm really just a collector. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I like to look for ones of uh, certain vintage. I like the ones from the seventies. I've got a, uh, like the Les Paul uh, oh, okay. PF yeah, yeah. guitar. Pretty cool. I've got an Explorer from the early eighties with like the Phil Collin model. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Fantastic. And then I really like a lot of the the Roadstar guitars from the mid '80s. Okay, I just think yep. the neck profile is correct. They weren't the most expensive guitars, but they're built like a tank, and they're heavy, and everything still holds up all these years later. Yeah, I remember seeing the Roadsters first come out, and um, it was amazing. It was amazing. It was like, I guess, I mean, people talk about Jackson Charvel as being on the front of the Superstrat kind of development, but though, for me, those Roadsters were it. They just had the slightly funky headstock and they're wired up yeah. a bit differently and they just looked a bit sleeker than a Strat. I just, they were awesome. Yeah. In the, um, in the face first video, I'm jumping ahead a little, but you're, you're playing, is that a Destroyer? An Ibanez Destroyer you're playing in that? The red one? Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, like 83, I think it is. Yeah. Awesome. That's a Destroyer. It's all, all original. And we put a Fishman in the bridge mm -hmm. with a, I've got a friend who owns a kill switch company, so there's a, a kill switch in it too. But nice. uh, that one works off an, a nine volt, and uh, most of the other ones have uh, this lithium ion battery, gives you like 200 hours, something ridiculous. Yeah, but uh, wow. yeah, that one's, it took a while to get it to play right. I have a guy here locally that does a lot of pro work and repair work, and oh, he hated that guitar. Because <laughs> it, it was shipped to me as body, a body and a neck separate, yep. and it wasn't right. There was a lot of stuff going, you know, going wrong with it fretting out in weird places and uh he said either you're gonna have to get a brand new fret job on it or uh just kind of deal with it not playing right so i said you know what just work it however you can and he got it playing it plays really nice it's a nice playing guitar sounds big too yeah cool how do you go shifting from say an rg style neck profile to to a, a roadster because i owned a i had a 570 as well and i loved it it sounded massive and um but i just couldn't get on with the neck when i'd go to another guitar it'd just feel it's too I, I didn't mind the width but just the flatness of those rgs compared to say you know a meteor um a meteor kind of neck how do you go sw swapping around it's it you're 100 percent right on the nose with it and it it's a type of thing where i've got to sit with it for a little bit okay it's like uh seven and eight eight string guitars yeah they just they unless you Gosh, that and an ergon like the ergonomic, like the ergo guitars with the weird fan frets. Oh yeah, yeah. It's just, it's just weird, um, <laughs> and it takes me a couple days to sit and try to feel comfortable. And I know the string spacing, and I know uh, sort of uh, that certain parts of the neck are going to get in the way of uh, my hand, you know, where the the joint of my fingers and the rest of my palm is. Sure. Uh, but it is, yeah, it definitely is. Even these. Uh, like these RG, the new RG 652s that I've recently gotten from Ibanez, you know, it takes a minute for that, you know, for you to get the feeling. Um, and in comparison, over uh, the NAM uh, show, I, Ibanez sent me a, a Talman, a new Prestige, oh, and okay. that neck yeah, profile cool. is much, much like the old uh, Roadstar. Okay, where yeah, it's more yeah. of like a, 
rounded. Yeah. Um, I don't want to say fender neck. I'm not the best on knowing all the profiles, yeah, sure. but it's there's not it's not as flat that your yeah. hand. You know, if you have got a small hand, it'll fit a lot better than that. Uh, but yeah, it's just a matter of sitting with it and not playing a bunch of guitars, you know, while you're trying to get used to it. It'll take me a couple days. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was younger, I felt like uh, I could feel like I would spring up out of bed and I could play anything. Uh, and I, you know, I, you know, I don't know what that was, but I could play a lot better, a lot quicker when I was younger. Now it takes me, mm-hmm. I've got to warm up for a half hour or an hour if I haven't played. Uh-huh. And, uh, so it's just that scenario where I've got to sit with it for a while. Sure, sure. Um, we've mentioned Plenty Heavy a few times. Now this is a new band project for you. Um, what's what's the thing behind behind that? What what got you inspired to start a, a power trio? Yeah, everybody was in town. No one was on the road. <laughs> it just seemed like uh, I could get the bass player, I could get the drummer, and we let's try to make something happen with this. And I I'd always written songs that were more like the pop punk kind of vibe and yep. uh that's kind of what all this music has been so far it's been faster tempos and you know very on the nose uh melodies that you know they're very tangible i think and uh yeah so bjorn england's on bass and bjorn's played with a million people man he's been in uh yeah. band and awesome. he's in mccalpine now uh-huh and dio disciples did like sixty thousand cedar at vodka fest last wow. summer that's so crazy. bjorn's bjorn's like the uh yeah, he's like the world traveler uh-huh. bass player. <laughs> and uh, I, I've actually known Bjorn for a lot of years, so yeah. I'm, I'm fortunate to have him play on it. And, uh, then Mike Hansen's on drums. Yeah. And Mike's played with a George Lynch, is uh, Shadow Nation. I forget what Shadow Nation or another band, but so George, he was in George's band, and he's played with Hurricane and a bunch of other people. But, you know, it was a type of thing where I wanted to make it a power trio. Yeah. Let me sing. Let's make it easy melodies. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to be. I'll tell you a, little, a quick story, Ashley. I had some guy uh, that spoke uh, Spanish, and he gave me a critique on my vocals. And he said, uh, everything sounds great. Too bad this guy doesn't sing like Coverdale. It would be an awesome band. <laughs> and I thought, well, I don't. okay, that's awesome. Thank you for that. And I'm not hurt. It actually uh, gave me a lot of inspiration that I didn't sing like Coverdale because I wasn't trying to, yeah, for yeah. starters. And uh it's very much like a skate punk kind of uh, strung out, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not trying to sing real high on purpose. Yeah. You know, it's a means of not having to hire a singer. Yeah. And uh, getting the point across quickly and you can hum the melodies. That That's the main notion of that band. Well, he, here's the thing. I mean, it's like the Doug Pinnick idea when you're writing for, for your voice and literally your voice is your voice in this case, but you're writing around the instrument. It's... um. And the material, it seems like the perfect voice for the material. I don't know if I want to hear David Coverdale sing this stuff anyway. Exactly. <laughs> Could you imagine that? Whoa! <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I love yeah, David I Coverdale. There's a reason why. What? Yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. I mean, uh, if I could sing like David Coverdale, then, you know, I, I don't know. You'd be in Whitesnake. <laughs> I'd, I'd be in Whitesnake. Yeah, That's cool. That's the answer. Man, the stuff is super hooky. When you talk about catch, you know, hummable melodies, um, it's super hooky. Along with the best uh, pop punk or, or power pop, man. For me, this stuff's perfect. I'm a huge power pop fan. Uh, I think I like bands like Thanks. Cheap Cheap Trick and The oh, Cars yeah. and yeah, you know, all that stuff. But you've got you know a bit more, bit more edge, and you're still fitting in some yeah. wailing guitar, which is which is very cool. 
trying to shoehorn it in or sneak it so people don't realize it's in there. <laughs> and, you know, hopefully it'll go by quick. But you mentioned the cars and Cheap Trick. Yeah. And uh, I love all, I love all that stuff. When uh, when we got MTV here, uh, I was about 10 years old. It was like 1982, 83 when it first launched. And on our cable station, we were so lucky that they played MTV. And I remember all those early videos. Like, And I love that stuff. I love the Greg Kinn band. I don't know if you remember that band. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Rick Springfield. Like, mm. I'll still... <laughs> If that's if that's on the radio, I'm not going to turn it. You know, I'll, I'll sit, sing along to Jesse's girl. You know, just quietly. Need but to I was lie. like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's cool that you mentioned Cheap Trick and uh, the Cars because I always love those bands. Yeah, well, those bands always had perfect guitar parts as well. I actually heard I was um I was watching Cars two with my kids last night. And um, there's a Cars song in the soundtrack. It's a kids movie, but they've got the Cars on there. And yeah. um, Elliot Easton, he just plays the perfect solo. Oh, yeah. Amazing. Yeah, he was great. Yeah. Well, uh, just, what is it? The just What I Needed solo? You ever oh, try to yeah. play that one? It's got some weird twists and turns, and the chords are doing funky things, but he always finds the right note to kind of go over top. Absolutely, yeah. Winner, Elliot Easton pop magic the um but yeah you're totally you're totally pulling some great guitar parts um i love in face first the the double tracked solo that's that's tasty at first i thought maybe it was a stereo thing but it, it i'm pretty sure it's double tracked am i right oh yeah yeah it is yeah all of the solos on this i always wanted to have uh it be like the god i gotta remember that i have the rhythm guitars drop out but that's mm -hmm. that's the notion on all of it where the rhythm guitars would drop out yeah um, cool. and that's a nod to uh, eat them and smile. Like okay, they did that okay. quite a bit. Yeah, nice. yeah even on some of those crazy tapping solos that he had, uh, Vi had a stereo left and right uh, double track lead. Yeah, nice. So that's just me borrowing from that idea. It's a great sound. It's a really cool sound. Um, and man, you're very tight. You're super tight with it, which, which really, um, which is a really cool thing. Which makes it bigger, I think, rather than a sloppy double track. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Uh, not that that can be be bad. It's funny talking about double tracking. You know, obviously Randy Rhodes is known for double and triple tracking solos. The first time I was aware of double tracking was listening to Ozzy Osbourne, and. Um, I didn't know the guitars were double tracked because it was so tight from Randy, but Ozzy's vocals yeah. are so sloppy. The double track it just it just scared me when I was fourteen listening to it in headphones. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Anyway. Yeah, that's the case for sure. Yeah, but it sounds cool. And you've uh, the last single um, is another bad day, which is great too. You're doing a very cool guitar and vocal unison kind of kind of line in the verses. Yep. Awesome. Well, thanks for picking up on that. Yeah, that's uh, that was kind of well. Look, that was the first song I put out with me singing leads on it. Oh, okay. So I kind of felt so like, the other way. Yep. yeah. So I kind of felt like, uh, you know, why don't I have that in there too as a safety net? Because if the very first thing you hear is just me singing, and it turns out that people really don't like the way I sound, that I'd at least have the guitar in there. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, and then slightly, uh. slightly tucked in the backdrop of uh, Face First. 
yeah. is the same thing. Is it I'm really? Doing the exact same thing. Uh... It's it's tucked just underneath uh, the the lead vocals. Just okay. so it's if you listen for it, I'm doubling the lead the lead vocals with my uh, with a guitar melody back there. Wow, I'll I'll, I'll have another I'll have a double listen. I just thought for another bad day. <laughs> I thought it was just a cool texture. I don't know you. I don't know you. I don't know you're hiding. Don't tell me that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are you in um, are you in drop D for that tune? Yeah, uh, for another bad day, it's drop D. Yeah, and face first, it's a half step, but it's a standard tuning. It's not okay. drop on that one. Okay, cool. Very nice. Yeah. So, what what are your future plans for Plenty Heavy? Well, we got, uh, in another week here. We're going in to do another video. Um, the marketing behind this, since I decided to not use a record label or anything like that and just mm -hmm. do it all myself was to put out a video for every single song we we made um, i've done too many projects where you put out a full-length record and you know all of the songs except for one except for the single are buried and if someone doesn't listen for that um those other you know bits of music that you might have worked months on uh it just it's for nothing you know so i decided that every song we put out uh, we've got about eight songs finished, uh, except okay. for my parts. I've got to put all my parts on it. Uh, oh, cool. Third song is going to be out here in the next, uh, probably early March. We're going to do the video when Bjorn gets off of the uh, Tony McAlpine leg. They're doing the Iridium this weekend wow, in cool. New York. And then when he comes back next week, we're going to shoot the video for uh, a song called A Swift Kick. Uh, but it's actually uh, a, a remade version from my first record with vocals. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so that's the next thing. And oh, then nice. uh, I'm going to finish the record and hopefully have it out by April is my plan. Uh, but I want to get at least two more videos. Yeah. Well, we're going to have two more videos. And then after that, uh, you know, see see where it takes us, you know, with uh, with everyone being a hired gun, not in my band, but in general, these guys make their living from working Yes. Uh, you know, playing gigs and things like that. Uh, it just is going to be a logistics thing. Sure. It's going to be when is everybody off the road and where can we make the most impact? Um, I want to try to take the uh, the approach of how uh, Miles Copeland did with this with uh, the police, in that he didn't have them go all over the world and dump a million dollars into their tour support. He had very strategic places where they played. Yeah, and uh, everything they did, they would you know alert the local news and try to get coverage wherever they could okay and uh i really want i really want to do it that way i don't nice. want to try to just throw it out there but i think uh like i said if we if we keep on the same uh path that we have the first the first song another bad day had like 50 something thousand views all organic you know wow. and it just it got shared everywhere it was places in indonesia that were sharing it and i said i don't know anybody in indonesia uh -huh. how did they even find it so the second one is up to uh i don't like 15,000 views something like that wow, that's and great. Uh, and down and d downloads have been amazing too so we just want I think we want to build it organically I think too many bands come and go as a you know you try to throw 
the best players in a band, but it's not really a band. Mm -hmm. um, and for this one, I really just want to keep it so that it's, you know, we're going to respect it as much as we can, you know, collectively. Yeah, nice. Will you do some shows when, when the three of you are in the same, when you're all home at the same time? Yeah, I think, I think that's got to happen. Yeah. You know, I think we've got to do that. So, yeah, for sure, that's my plan. Um, like I said, I, I know bands like the Aristocrats who they don't have vocals, but you've got Guthrie Govan, Brian Beller, and uh, Marco Miniman on drums. Yeah. They're huge. They they toured for most of 2016. Yeah, yeah. And uh, like all over the world. Yeah, and they I were think just down here this, recently. Did you see it? I didn't. I had another gig. I was around the corner. I had people turning up yeah. to my gig for a couple of drinks, saying, "Yeah, we're going to see, um, going to go see Guthrie." And I said, "Yeah, oh, wow. I wouldn't stay here to watch me go and see Guthrie." And <laughs> yeah. So I was close, but not close enough. Yeah, but yeah, they're they're doing yeah. great all over the place. Yeah, they're doing great, and I think it just comes down to you gotta you gotta be smart about when you play and and where you're playing. I, I really don't want to play the the corner pub with this man yeah. i think we have to be strategic and and all of that takes money yeah sure. you know uh i'm managing the band myself so any any uh offers to come through they come through me mm -hmm. and so far it's you know i don't want to have it be a break-even scenario i, I want to go and like i said respect the band enough to yeah sure to uh we'll all make money we'll all you know make it a, make it proper nice sounds good sounds like a good plan sounds like you're, you're taking your time with it and um, presenting how you want to do it, which is which is awesome. Well, thanks, man. Yeah, cool. Now, in the meantime, you've also started your own podcast, which is cool. I've I've heard the first episode. I've I've downloaded the second. So it's the Iconoclast thanks. Music Podcast. When when did you get the idea for that? Or what's what's the thinking behind that? Yeah, well, I've wanted to do it for a while, um, and I. I'll, I Commonly, if I'm speaking to friends or musicians or engineers, it's always the same type of thing where, man, I wish I would have recorded this and yeah, had some okay. way of putting it out. Yeah. And about a year ago, um, my, I think our mutual friend and Mick uh, Marcelino yes. um, had me on his podcast. And I said, well, there it is. That's the medium. Yeah. So uh, I got to give a shout out to uh, Amps and Axes. Absolutely. Uh, they had me up. Had me on their show a couple times, and mm -hmm. and through Mick's help, uh, I've been able to you know fully realize my own podcast, and uh, we've got about ten episodes already recorded in the can, and I just have to release them uh, you know weekly and and get them out. But we've got a lot of great people that um, I think you know I want to try to hit the stories that others haven't. I want to try to ask questions that uh, you know I I know as a fan and as as a musician, fellow guitar player that. Mm -hmm other people would want to hear when they listen to podcasts yeah you know awesome. and i've uh i've actually listened to your a lot of your podcasts oh, okay you've had andy timmons and yeah and yeah. uh alistair green who's a good friend of mine and oh, really? a lot of great yeah, cool. artists and uh yeah so as as far as my subscribe list it's yours it's amps and axes i think joe rogan adam carolla eddie trunk and uh and that's about it okay. that's all i'm listening to so that's cool. i look forward to your future podcast thank you so much and back at you of uh Always good to hear another new guitar podcast, and I, I like your spin. Obviously, as as a as a well seasoned player, so you're, you know, you're, you're well in there. So, yeah, it's great. I'm loving it. Thanks, man. I enjoyed your take on the summer of '69 as well. That that was a uh, oh. that was a lot of fun. <laughs> you know, I decided maybe that that part of the you know you know what we did on the first one was they uh, the notion that uh, it might not be approved through iTunes uh, was possible. I, 
I didn't know what to expect. Okay. Turns out, I don't even know if they listened to it, but they did. But I put that segment on there because uh, Mick alluded, and I'm not sure how much this plays into it, but he said, you've got to submit it for approval. So I thought, yeah. why am I going to put one out and put all this work into it when uh, um, it might be dumped, you know, and I have to redo it or whatever. So we had, I had a friend of mine uh, that when we drive, he's a guitar tech of mine, uh -huh. and we drive around for hours. These road trips are, you know, days long. <laughs> And just talk about what were they thinking on the song. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm not sure how much more of that I'll I'll do, but I thought it'd be a funny segment at the end. But it was fun. I do. Um, I, I play that song in the covers band. I mean, and um, from now on, every time we do that song, I'll think of you. Okay. And ten-year-old <laughs> Brian Adams. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it was just hard living. Maybe it was just. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> child delinquent i don't know up in canada who knows yeah cool right hey greg <laughs> thanks so much for coming on my show then that's it's been an honor and um uh definitely yeah thanks mick from amps and axes they've been great to me as well um we did like a double episode uh back in the day um yeah when i started out too which was really great so thank you mick mick um mick got greg and i in touch so that's wonderful thanks to you and um greg thank you yeah for coming on our show we'll definitely um keep following um you work with lots of interest with the new plenty heavy stuff and and the iconoclast music podcast and um and whatever else you've got coming up sounds great thanks again matt i really appreciate you having me on oh man my pleasure really really great to meet you um i'll just quickly how, how are people best equipped to follow your stuff where, where should people be looking well everything's on my uh, website at gregmara.com and uh, all of my links are on there as well, all of the band pages and things like that. Really, these days, there's there are two Greg Maras. One is a guy that uh, works at Google. Okay. So he's always top billing. He's figured out some uh, secret <laughs> uh, way of getting top billing on really? Google searches. And then and then me. So if you just, yeah, type in my name, you, you can find it. Okay. <laughs> Very cool. Well, hey, thanks again, Greg, and all the best with all that you're up to. Thanks, Matt. You too. Cheers. All right, there you go, my interview with Greg Mara. What a good guy and uh, fantastic guitar player, as you heard throughout our interview. Um, Greg's podcast is great. Um, I've heard the first episode. The second one is with our old friend Rob Balducci. I've downloaded that. I'm looking forward to listening into that too. So, yeah, check out Greg's stuff. The Plenty Heavy stuff is excellent. And um, Greg's often posting just cool little jams he does on um, he does on Facebook and stuff. So definitely worth following all of Greg's stuff. Thanks again, Greg. All right. Hey, we have past episodes, as was alluded to during the episode. So uh, you can definitely check that out. Um, as Greg mentioned, we've had Andy Timmons, Alistair Green last week. It was our NAMM special with Michael Ross. Lots of good stuff. So if you um, look us up on iTunes or Stitcher, you can find us or guitarspeakpodcast.libson.com. You can get to all of our past episodes there as well. They're all free and easy to access. We're on Facebook and we're on Instagram. If you give us a like or a share, that's always appreciated and helpful for getting the word out. Hey, if you're in Sydney, I've got a gig next Saturday, the 18th of February at the Django Bar in Marrickville. Uh, very honored to be playing with Danny Sun's Rhythm Review. Plays a lot of classic blues and soul and blues rock stuff. We're doing some uh, Robin Ford and some Tedeschi trucks and some other great stuff. So um, that's fun. Danny's a killer Hammond player 
and he lugs his big Leslie speaker all over the place. So next Saturday night, the Django Bar. If you're around, I'd love to say uh, love to say good day if you're in the neighbourhood. All right, well, that's it from us here at the Guitar Speak podcast. My name's Matt Wakeling. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Bye now.